I sort of boiled it down to what I think are the three top issues, which number one, in today's America, because Gustin appropriated images of black trauma, the show needs to be about more than Gustin. And we weren't prepared for that. And that's one of the reasons why I just want to pause and just think about what that means. Also related, an exhibition with such strong commentary on race cannot be done by all white curators. You know, everybody involved in this project is white. Wondering if he's ever coming down, he begins. And if he did, would anybody need? A Philip Guston retrospective was slated to open next year at the National Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C. But recently, the museum announced they would delay it. Some people in the art world freaked out at the thought of delaying a show by this popular modern artist. But I have to admit, I don't really get why the delay of the exhibition is really a big deal. Guston, for those who don't know, was a prominent abstract artist in the New York School, and later rejected that type of work to create curious figurative works that often featured hooded KKK figures. Yup, that's right, the Ku Klux Klan. I love this body of work, and frankly it's shown everywhere in museums all around the world, pretty much all the time. I found this freakout a little odd, because it's not exactly like it was being cancelled, even though some people seem to mistakenly believe it is. So, I called up the director of the National Gallery of Art to ask. I'm Harag Vartanyan, and I'm the host of the Hyperallergic Podcast. Kaywin Feldman is the director of the National Gallery of Art, and she arrives in D.C. after a stint at the Minneapolis Institute of Art, known affectionately as MIA. Her background is in archaeology, and she's the first woman in her current post as the head of the National Gallery of Art. I would love to just hear from you a little bit to why that decision felt necessary and also how it sort of fits into the bigger vision of the National Gallery that you're now heading. If you don't mind, actually, before I do um, move to that, we had an all-staff meeting today and I talked at length with the staff about the decision. And one of our staff members sent in the chat a comment and I just, I thought she kind of nailed it for the bigger conversation that's happening right now. And so for what it's worth, I'd love to just read it. Um, It's short. She wrote, the Gustin postponement decision seems to be a mirror reflecting whatever individuals fear most about the future of museums and culture. I've read and heard it characterized as so many different conflicting things. Underestimating the public, giving in to pressure from protests of systemic racism, upholding white supremacy, shying away from tough conversations about race, censorship, being too woke, and how can one decision be all of these conflicting things at the same time? I think in this anxiety-ridden and isolating time, we're all projecting our fears onto it. And I just thought that she nailed it. Um, that is a very, very good quote. Yeah. That's a very good quote. So yeah. now, how about how about in your perspective? Like, I mean, the, I'm sure this isn't an easy decision. This is yeah. a huge decision with implications of your position, your yeah, yeah. community, all these types of things. So yeah. I'd just love to hear from you. 
Certainly, you know, first and foremost, I have to say that I just genuinely respect, admire, and appreciate all the work that our staff did on the project. Um, I'm really proud of the book and the scholarship and the testament to Gustin's lasting impact. And and I remain a huge fan of Philip Gustin. So that's all, you know, really um, strong and solid. And lots of conversations and lots of listening. It just felt like this was a tough time in America to do this exhibition and, you know, particularly at this moment right now. And that, that as you know, I'm new to the National Gallery, uh, that we need to do a lot more work together to think about how we present exhibitions, uh, who we listen to. And I, I sort of boiled it down to what I think are the three top issues, which um, are that number one, in today's America, because Gustin appropriated images of black trauma, the show needs to be about more than Gustin. And we weren't prepared for that. And that's one of the reasons why I just want to pause and just think about what that means. Also um, related, an exhibition with such strong commentary on race cannot be done by all white curators. You know, everybody involved in this project is white. And, uh, and then the, the, the final point is that I think asserting that the audience should understand our point of view, i.e., you know, curators, while we disown their point of view, I think is disrespectful to audience. And I'm not negating curatorial voice and curatorial authority. It's not an either or, it's a yes and. So to me, those are the sort of you know, crux of the issues. And I really think that people can't ignore this moment. And I'm sure you've seen all of the museums and the museum directors, including me, who have been heavily criticized for making statements about diversity and inclusion after the killing of George Floyd. And then people are saying, so what's different? I don't see anything that's different. And a lot of museums, like the gallery, we just hired our very first diversity, inclusion, and belonging officer. That's important. And, you know, we make statements, but, but it actually also means doing some things differently, trying some things. We may not get it all right, but it's a time to experiment. That makes sense. So now, how do you think, because I think part of this reckoning we're going through is like, how does this happen? Like, how does an exhibition at the National Gallery of Art go on that deals with race, even if the work is by a white artist, do you know, or I say particularly because the work is done by a white artist is probably yeah. more correct. Um, how does it happen that curatorially and everything, it's all white? You know, in your experience, how does that kind of institutional position happen? Because yeah, I do think it is yeah. a position at the end of the day. Yeah, I do think it's part of sort of the, the learning journey of institutions. And I always say, I, I don't give a single public presentation anymore without acknowledging that it's predicted by, that by 2043, America will be majority people of color. And that museums, I mean, that needs to change everything for us. And museums that haven't kind of stepped up to that, it feels like it's so far away. And I say, you know, do so to their peril. And I think about Minneapolis, I think, we started our journey, um, which was painful, and we all learned a lot of lessons, most especially me, perhaps you know, earlier than the National Gallery did in having the conversations and kind of understanding the, the changing 
territory of America. But I think, as your point, it's not just the National Gallery; it's four museums. It's and, everywhere. It's almost it's so yeah. it's pretty much it's pretty ubiquitous, except yeah. for a few a few institutions that we could probably count on our hand, you know, on yeah. one hand. Yeah. But so, what was the moment in Minneapolis, though? You said maybe you had dealt with this a little earlier. So yeah. what was that moment? Was there, in your opinion, a changing, like a, an actual turning point? Absolutely. And it was um, the killing of Philando Castile, who was pulled over for a broken taillight and fatally shot by the police. And when it happened, it was about three years ago, I think. Uh, when it happened, the city, not to the degree of George Floyd, but the cities, the Twin Cities erupted in protest and emotion and closed the freeways and... And our staff was really upset about it. And they kept coming to me saying, what are we going to do? How are we going to react? And I struggled because there wasn't anything. Because one thing I have learned is that you have to be authentic in anything you do. And that it always has to come from art. You know, we're not a social history museum. We're not a science museum. We're an art museum. So anything we do has to come from art. And um, we didn't have the collection or the artist to do anything to react in real time. So we didn't do anything. But it started a journey for me. And I, the staff at MIA organized something you may be familiar with called Mass Action, which stands for Museums as Site for Social Action. And they, with great humility, said, we don't have the answer to how museums need to change. We need to bring in lots of thought leaders to, to hear and listen. And, and it was a three-year process. The uh, museum created a guidebook and a toolkit. And we started to change our practice along the way. And um, so really, it was that, that lightning moment. I wonder how much was it also informed by the controversy around scaffold? that was also happening in Minneapolis at the time, not at the institution you're at, but how aware were you of that dynamic? Certainly very aware. And, um, you know, Olga's a dear friend and I respect and admire her. And so I was aware of the, the pain of what she was going through. And I think that some of what the art world doesn't recognize is that the pain isn't controversy. The pain is understanding that you have unknowingly caused other people harm. You've pained them. I had the same conversation with Adam Weinberg, and he talked about um, the Dana Schutz issue. And he very emotionally said, I caused people pain. And, you know, Olga has the same story of having, of standing there and listening. And it was really all because they didn't have the conversations with the community on the front end. And, you know, it seemed like that was such a, a lightning moment for the field and that we were all going to learn from it. But here we are now, and I guess we didn't learn so much. So can you just remind me how long you've been at the National Gallery? A year and a half. A year and a half, okay. So you were not involved with any of the preliminary uh, organizations of this exhibition? No, and to also go back to the point of this moment, Early on in my tenure, I was in a meeting about the show, and we were actually looking at the gallery uh, model with the installation plan. And we came across one of the hood figures, and I stopped and I said, okay, how are we going to uh, talk about this? What, what's the plan for interpretation? And at, at that moment, there really wasn't one. And you know, so while I paused on it, it didn't raise the flags. Whereas if we were having that same meeting today and looking at a model, you know, the whole reaction of everybody in the room would be different. Things have changed. 
So now what is the plan? Because I think people are acting like it's almost canceled, yeah. which is, which it's not canceled. You, you confirm that, correct? Absolutely. It is not canceled. We are committed. And so it's committed 2024. That's set. Um, we're actually right now looking at filtering in dates. It may be a little earlier. You know, okay. We want to, of course, get past COVID. Of course. It's not just the fact that we have to limit people. And it's also that to do this work, we actually have to have tough conversations and it's right. really hard to have tough conversations on zoom what is the process now because with a white all white curatorial all white sort of staff that were, has been working on this now how are you going to evolve that to become more inclusive yeah we definitely need some curators of color working on the project with us i think all of the the four museums agree with that statement so that's absolute um we want to do more listening to staff, listening to community, talking about some of the sort of best practices in interpretation. You know, another point is we have some of the hooded figures in our collection. We have shown them in the past and we will show them again. It's just this question of this moment. Why do you think people are reacting this way? I mean, I have to say I'm a little perplexed. I don't see any cancellation happening, but people are acting like this is a form of censorship. What do you think is being triggered by this? Because I often think when these things happen, not just in the art community, but elsewhere, they're usually when these kinds of extreme reactions happen to things that don't look like they should have extreme reactions on paper sometimes. I always think that there's something else going on at the same time. Well, I would say one thing is um, that statement I read from our staff member today. I think she's right that everyone's anxious and we're just looking for some normalcy and stability and something to, you know, um, hang on to at this moment. So I think that's part of it. But I also think part of it is that, you know, museums are contested spaces and that has only increased over the last few years. And, you know, we look at some of the controversies. We talked about Danish Schutz, we talked about um, Scaffold. And I think there's a concern that because of the outcry that's coming very often from a younger audiences, millennial and younger, that perhaps others in the field are afraid that, you know, what they know and love is going to disappear, that we are going to, you know, rip the, the heroes out of the sky. And I think it's that fear of this changing moment that we're all navigating. And, you know, given that most of the National Gallery's collection is European old masters, when I read about Yale's decision not to do 101 in the same way they've been doing it, you know, I had a moment of, of the stomach clenching, but I also thought, well, that just means that we have, you know, an edge. We actually have this great collection that um, maybe people aren't spending as much time with anymore that we love and, you know, feel strongly about. So, yeah, I think it's out of concern for, for the past. Now, how are you going to insert a Black curator in a project that's been already, you know, or maybe let's say, I'm not, I'm not going to assume that person is Black, but I'm going to assume that there's probably going to be some input from Black curators and other arts professionals. So how are you going to do that? Because I've never seen a project so late in its sort of development, what that's going to possibly look like. Are there any ideas, anything you've sketched out for yourself? Uh, no, not yet. And, you know, part of the actually challenge of all of this, too, that um, is is an important challenge is the fact that these are four museums. And as you know, we all have really different realities. We have different communities, different funding structures. 
we're in different positions in our sort of diversity and inclusion journey. So it's really hard to find a one size fits all for all of us. So it's, we're still trying to figure out how much of the project is, you know, core and how much we want to do our own work around, around um, which was true actually even before we delayed the exhibition. So, um, so there is that complication of how much we'll be working together or um, separately. And the gallery actually is just about to hire our um, first ever curator with a specialty in African-American and African diaspora art. So we're looking forward to having that person on board and um, working with Harry. And I, I also have to say that Harry Cooper is the perfect curator for this collaborative process. He is a real humanist. He has struggled with my decision. He's not he's not completely against it and he's not sure he's for it either. And he and I have had, you know, almost daily conversations about it and he's able to have respectful dialogues um, and we challenge each other. And so I think Harry's actually, you know, a really good curator to work collaboratively with somebody else. So how are you going to change this process so you don't have a similar situation? We will have, you know, more in-depth conversations on the front end. And, you know, at, at, at Minneapolis, we did use a lot of um, advisory groups and, you know, sometimes they were more of a scholarly sort of scientific committee. Sometimes they were a community committee, depending on the project. And so I think that we will have, you know, more advisory groups um, on the front end. We are in the process of diversifying our staff here um, at the gallery. I'm really proud that we uh, now have two new executive officers at the top of the house and they're African-American. So we'll be doing that. Uh, with the board, we've been looking again at our, our mission and vision statements and our values. And I mentioned to the staff today that we actually did a survey of the staff and asked them a short survey to participate in what they think the gallery's top values are. And a shocking two-thirds of the institution responded. I mean, that's just unheard of in a, in a survey. And the number one thing they all said was diversity and inclusion was their number one value for the institution. And I said to them today, well, you've set the course, and now we have to figure out how the work reflects that. And it will be mean making some tough decisions like postponing Gustin or perhaps picking one project over another, um, it, it, it is going to mean different work. And, um, and we have a, a new vision statement for the gallery that we've um, developed, which we're all really excited about, which is of the nation and for all the people. You know, we are here to be the national gallery and we're so proud and honored to do that. And we recognize that it's a it's a very lofty goal, a um, ambitious goal, and that America is big and broad, and we need to get our hands around that. So when you're at the MIA, the Minneapolis Institute of Art, there, one of the things I've noticed, I just wanted to know what your role was, but there seemed to be a pretty robust Native American programming and interest in that. And I'm wondering what your role is in there, because I think it might give people a better understanding not only of your own vision, but how you've worked with institutions to diversify, because many of many people may only know you now that you're at the National Gallery and may not be aware of that history. So I'm wondering, could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and I, I also have to give full credit to um, Jill Alberg-Yo, who's the curator of Native American art at MIA, 
because Jill is not Native American. And so her practice says that everything she does is in conversation with the Native American community. And she recognizes that that's not monolithic. There's lots of ideas and voices in the community. So um, she was in constant dialogue with the community about interpreting uh, works of art, acquisitions, exhibitions. And so I really, I give the credit to Jill. And, you know, as you may know, we did the exhibition Hearts of Our People about Native American women artists. And um, when Jill first came to me and said that she wanted to put together a board of Native American women um, artists and scholars to help her with the show in classic curatorial fashion, I just thought, oh my goodness, there's no way that can be successful. I do not believe in that, but I am going to support you. I believe in you. So let's try. And I am a believer. It, they actually took the original ideas of the two curators, um, one of which um, is a Native American artist, Terry Greaves, and they actually made it better. I mean, a group of people actually made a curatorial concept better. And they spent two days locked in a room and sort of grappled with it. And it's a great example of not taking away curatorial authority. I mean, it started with the curators. They got lots of input and they did change the, the program some. And then the curators actually went out to all the museums and studied the objects. So the, the curators were making the object selection. And then they involved their advisory board, both locally and the national board, um, to help them with the um, interpretive program and, and the programming. I think it's a, it's a great example. And as you know, it got more press coverage, I think, than any exhibition in the last five years. And I think it's because of the great process and the process made it stronger. Not saying that's the process for every exhibition, but for an exhibition like that, it was the right process. Oh, I think that's really interesting. Now, when it comes to uh, a show like Gustin, if you were to reorganize this from the first step, and because I'm saying this because I'm sure there are a lot of institutions looking at what you're doing right now with the Gustin show. And I'm sure there are a lot of other shows that people are realizing, wait a minute, we have a black artist, the whole curatorial staff is white, we haven't had this process. What would you recommend to somebody as a first step to really incorporate some of the racial reckoning we're seeing around us now into an institution? I actually think it's what a lot of our colleagues are doing, which is starting those conversations early, it often starts internally, and then going out into the community and, and really listening and compromising. I often say here that, you know, I'm a white woman of privilege, so I recognize my point um, where I stand, but I, I, I'm curious and I'm humble, and I think those are two qualities that we all need to have in this work. And um, I have been called out on multiple times for phrases I use, for, you know, ideas, and it stings. I have to say it stings. And I, you know, stand up tall and I listen and it changes me. You know, I think I'm better for it. So uh, bringing the humility to the work, I think, is, is really important. You're listening to Bells of Brooklyn by Reed Waddle. Check them out. I'm Harag Vartanian, the editor-in-chief and co-founder of Hyperallergic. Thanks for listening, and stay safe. It's midnight on the avenue 
never felt more alive. Makes no difference what I do. Am I living to just survive? Getting caught up in the fury of New York. Think of neon Jesus. Wondering if he's ever coming down here again. And if he did, would anybody need him? I get lost in my mind, following my feet. Took a lot of wrong steps so I could get ready. And the bells in Brooklyn, they ring loud and clear. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder how I got